Good morning and uh, welcome to Race Industry Now, the weekly webinar series from ePower Trade, presented to you by ARP, Performance Plus Global Logistics, PIC, ShopMonkey, and Fifth Third Bank Motorsports. I am Francisque Savinien, the founder and CEO of ePower Trade, the global platform for the performance and racing industry. This is episode 358, and it's the last one of the 2023 season. We're going to take a little break after this uh, uh, episode to get prepared for Race Industry Week, which will start on November 27th for five days. And then the 2024 season of Race Industry Now will uh, be back on uh, early February of 2024. So thank you very much for being with us today. With me this morning are Judy King, the co-founder of ePortrait and wonderful host, Mr. Brad Gilly. So Francisque, um, I'm so delighted today to have Peak on. Um, I'm proud to have them on as one of our sponsors. They're also joining Race Industry Week. And this set, this, this group, the motorsports group in Peak, they are racers. They know this industry. They sponsor race cars, grassroots up to the top teams, um, every series. So I'm just delighted to have them on today and proud. Brett? Well, uh, Judy, Francisque, I'm delighted today as well. And, uh, and of course, uh, thank you for all of this and everything that happens throughout the year. And really looking forward to Race Industry Week coming up at the end of November. That's going to be a lot of fun. But um, really can't wait to get this one underway today because, again, we have another great topic we're going to talk about that's going to be a benefit to a lot of people and some great education as well. So, Francisque, Judy, we'll see you guys here shortly. And uh, really looking forward to it. Thank you. All right, well, let's get things going. Um, today's topic, why antifreeze slash coolant is the lifeblood of an engine by Peak with Joe Long, Old World Industries Senior Field Technical Trainer. And before we get started with you, Joe, I want to remember, uh, remind everyone rather, uh, everyone viewing right now that if you have a question at any part during our conversation, feel free to type it into the chat box. We love questions. We love talking about what you want to hear about because, again, uh, this is just like being at a trade show. And if you have questions, we definitely want to get them out there. But Joe, I know you have a lot of things to talk about as well. And welcome. I hope you're doing well here today. I am doing great, Brad. And thank you for this invite. And what a great introduction uh, for Old World and the Peak Antifreeze brand. And even that lead in with the, the Blue Def and the Blue Def Platinum. I was amazed to see that. So happy to be here today. Yeah. And, and I love that big, beautiful, funny car that's sitting there right behind you as well. That's uh, That's great. Yeah, that's John Force Racing and uh, Robert Height. John Force and his uh, daughters have supported us for years. Uh, and uh, the new kids are coming up on the block there. So uh, NHRA is a, is a great thing for Old World. We have a lot of fun in that industry. Yeah, for sure. Well, I know you'll have a couple of things to show in a video at some point. So whenever you're ready for that, just let us know and uh, we'll make sure we get everything going. But just give us a quick overview of what we're going to be talking about today when it comes to antifreeze uh, and coolant. Well, you know, we like to state that it is the lifeblood of the engine, and we're going to have some questions that come along. Uh, Peak is a brand. Old World Industry is the parent company. We're celebrating 50 years in business this October, so we're having a lot of fun at the company, uh, internally and externally, at the races and the whole bit. So uh, I'm ready for questions when you're ready, Brad. All right. Well, that sounds good. Well, let, let's just start talking about it. I know a lot of times we interchange the, the the words and say, well, I need to stick some antifreeze in or, you know, I need to put some more coolant in. <laughs> Maybe it depends on the season or whatever. But uh, just tell us about what is antifreeze and coolant. Well, you know, antifreeze, people think of it. Well, I'm in the South. I don't need antifreeze. Well, of course, understand coolant and and they're synonymous with each other afc or antifreeze coolant so so what is antifreeze coolant there are three real components of what's in a gallon or drum of that antifreeze a the water water is needed to remove heat from any engine b is the glycol and uh, there have been papers written and understanding glycol of course it does prevent freeze but glycol does more than just prevent freeze. It raises the boiling point somewhat with a certain percentage of glycol. That 50% water, 50% glycol mix gives you a minus 34 degrees uh, freeze protection, but it also raises the boil over protection. So you need the water to remove the heat. You need the glycol, not just to prevent freeze, but also to prevent other failures in a cooling system. Water only creates a lot of rust. 
glycol gets rid of a lot of that rust. Water only creates an environment for, you know, I'll use the term bacteria or bugs people like to talk about. Well, you know, you'll get some growth in a system when you use glycol that growth disappears. So we need to have some sort of glycol mix. And the third component, we can dye a coolant any color the manufacturer, the OE wants. So you've seen some orange out here, you know, GM, Dexcool is orange. We've got Ford today is a good yellow type of color. Toyota's been red. Uh, we've got some blues out here and purples and, and, and a lot of colors across the rainbow. We can dye it any color, but inside of that color is the inhibitor package. So the inhibitor prevents rust and corrosion. Typically in the heavy duty world, when you're working with the wet sleeve liner engines, Detroit and Cummins, Caterpillar, Volvo, Mac, International, you need to protect those liners from cavitation, the block from cavitation, the liners from pitting. The inhibitor package does that. So there's some old inhibitors, there's some modern 2023 technology as we move forward in technology. So there are some differences in inhibitors from the old days to where we are today. So that's what makes up a gallon of antifreeze. Uh, and when you talk about that gallon, just uh, especially talking about glycol and water, I think a lot of us know, but when you go to the auto parts store and you buy some, there are a lot of different ways you can buy it as well. You can just buy the glycol, you can buy the 50-50 mix. Um, right. If I'm doing my own mix, why is it so important to have distilled water in there as opposed to just taking the garden hose and topping it off? Well, in certain parts of the country, certain cities, towns, municipalities, uh, the quality of water could be good. It could pass the ASTM test. But what we look at in water is to have uh, four components lacking there. We want low chlorine. Chlorine is going to eat aluminum in a system, head gaskets in a system. So you got to have a low chlorine content. Uh, water pumps are going to fail once you start to get above certain parts per million of, of, of chlorine. So you don't want to have that. Calcium and magnesium, that's the hardness in the water. So once you start to add certain levels of calcium and magnesium, you're going to create an eggshell inside of the engine. That's going to prevent the water from dissipating the heat. And then, of course, sulfur, you know, Town water, city water could have certain levels of sulfur. That's going to contribute to a change in your pH. And higher pH is going to become uh, aggressive to soft metals. Low pH is going to be uh, acidic and start to create other issues. So you want to have a quality water. There are some ASTM specifications that we write for water. Caterpillar has the exact same specifications. Uh, these spec specifications have been written for years, and they all mirror each other. So we got to have good quality water in the system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, let's talk about antifreeze and coolant being important to an engine's function and why. Well, you know, Cummins has addressed this issue in the past. Uh, they actually have a paper written explaining that 40% of engine downtime is antifreeze or coolant related. That's a tremendously high number. American Truckers Association, the TMC, uh, TMC, the Technology and Maintenance Council, uh, they also support that number, 40%. And I want to repeat that again, 40% of engine downtime is antifreeze or coolant related, whether it's water pumps, hoses, radiators. We've got components under the hood of that vehicle that have changed. Uh, radiator is a big change in the past 10, 12 years, especially in the heavy duty industry. We've gone from copper steel radiator to fabricated aluminum and technology, old technology, and this new, uh, you know, dissimilar metals, this, this fabricated aluminum, they don't like each other. Chemistry wise, when they're introduced, old technology with the modern metal or fabricated aluminum, we have a lot of fallout, a lot of issues. We've seen that on road. We've seen that off-road construction. We've seen that in other equipment off-road that's used. In the marine business, same thing. So there's a lot of attitude towards certain technologies, whether they're Asian, European, or here in North America. Certain old technologies and new technologies. So it's important to do the, the right thing today with coolant and what coolant you're using, what coolant you're topping off with. There's a lot of choices out there, like you said, when you go to the retail shop. Wow, that shelf is filled with a lot of different things. An educated consumer is our best customer. And that's what we're hoping to do here today. Educate some of the guys out there in the field and gals in the field.
Yeah, that that's a big number, by the way, that 40%. That's huge. And, uh, you know, and again, I know a lot of what we talk about is race cars, but we also talk about race car transporters and all of the different things, and especially some of the things you're talking about specifically. A glycol-based coolant. You've talked about glycol a lot. Tell us a little bit more about that and why glycol-based is so important. Well, you know, when you get into the race world, glycol isn't allowed on the tracks. It's going to make it too slippery. It's you know, it's going to get into the asphalt or the concrete or whatever it's going to saturate in there. It's going to create a slippery situation. So in that world, we talk about water and we talk about things like water, wetter to kind of lubricate the system. But when you get into the on-road world, glycol is important. Uh, it's the, let's kind of keep uh, the simple. It's been around over a hundred years, glycol, ethylene glycol, propylene glycol, but ethylene glycol, as we know it, uh, that's been the lifeblood of the engine for many years. Uh, glycol, as we mentioned, prevents the freeze and helps with the boilover protection with the right pressure radiated cap, you know, usually about 14 pounds. Uh, we raise that boiling temperature, but glycol helps to do that also. So glycol is important in that way. I mentioned about how it, it, it besides protecting uh, the freeze, besides giving you your boilover protection, it also helps with rust corrosion. And again, I'm repeating myself, but uh, prevents bacteria or from growth in an engine, really lessens the effects of water and metals, uh, prevents the rust and corrosion. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and it's interesting too, I, and I keep thinking to myself, just because you brought up race cars, and obviously we're using different things there because of uh, the impacts that it would have on the racetrack and all of that. But, you know, a lot of times we have a tendency to, you know, say, oh, if, if, if I have a, uh, a vehicle that's running low on coolant, antifreeze or whatever, well, I've got something that's been sitting on my shelf here for a couple of years or whatever. I got about, I don't know, a quarter of the gallon left or whatever. Is it okay to use that, or do I need to go grab something new, something sealed? What's the rule on that? Well, a sealed container of antifreeze, you know, there's various attitudes in the industry um, as to the longevity on a shelf. Uh, in, in my world and the doctors, the PhD guys I've worked with for years, they say 10 years. You know, you may need some agitation because the inhibitors may have slightly separated. So you may need to shake up that gallon or vibrate that drum. Uh, an, an open container, what we get concerned about is if it is a 50-50 mix, has the water evaporated? So there are certain test procedures to test water glycol content. In the heavy-duty world, you know, you talk about the transporters. We're pulling these race cars from track A to track B, sometimes cross-country. Um, <clears throat> it is important to know this, that the OE, the OEMs, they want a 40% glycol mix to 60% glycol mix. So that ratio of 40, 60, 40% 40 glycol, 60% water, or 60% water, 40% glycol. They do not want that engine to operate outside of that range. Now that 40% glycol, 60% water, equals minus 12 degrees Fahrenheit. So when testing, know that if you're below minus 12 degrees Fahrenheit, you need to adjust with a little bit of concentrated glycol to get it back in that range. In a typical operation of a vehicle running down that road, <clears throat> it will lose anywhere from a gallon to five gallons of water from that system. Every mile we lose a drop of water. And basically it's a phenomenon called water migration. Water sweats through the silicone hose that these vehicles are assembled with today. Silicone, silicone permeates water. So it is important for the technician, not just to make sure the system's full, but to use the five simple test procedures to test coolant. So one of them is to test the water glycol content and in a typical operation of a vehicle over the course of a year to two, I expect that perfect world of 50-50 mix to move towards 60% glycol, 40% water. You're going to lose water. Glycol doesn't permeate through that silicone hose. Water does. So that's why you're going to see probably in 100% of the time, water glycol is going to become more concentrated with glycol. It is impossible to grow water in a cooling system. Impossible. Only the technician or the driver can add that water. That's the only way you're gonna have more water or a diluted system with water.
That's interesting. And is that something I can test by, you know, going to the auto parts store and grabbing one of those little squeeze things with the balls in it? Well, that's kind of, don't squeeze your balls too much here now. Okay. That's kind of just uh, understand that hydrometer. That's what it's called, a hydrometer. Um, that works fairly well. Don't get me wrong. It's an inexpensive tool. But what the technician needs to know, he must clean that tool after every use. Because physically what happens is those little the little pellets or the little balls, they get saturated with the glycol. And if, if you don't clean it, you're going to get those the, the weight of the glycol on that system and you're going to get false readings. So you need to keep those balls pretty clean out there. So just know water, that tool works. The best tool for any shop is called a analog refractometer. It's the tool where you put a little coolant, a drop or two on the sight glass, and you look up to the light, and the light refracts the glycol water mixture, and you get your reading. Those tools are very accurate. There are some inhibitors today that are stronger than other, others. You may be off by two, three, four degrees, but, but that's more than enough to know if you're in the range. So an analog refractometer, a digital refractometer, is kind of like a small handheld computer. That's the most accurate way, but it's a fairly expensive tool. Yeah, you talked about five different ways. And while we're talking about testing, what are some of the other ways? Well, there are five simple test procedures is color. That's your first thing. So what you're looking at is, okay, I'm operating with a, a yellow coolant factory fill, an orange coolant, a red coolant, even good old fashioned green as long as that color is vibrant. So that's the first step. Look at the color. We don't want to see black. We don't want to see dark brown out there. So color clarity. We don't want to see debris in the sample. So take a little one or two ounce sample and kind of put it up to the light. How's my color? If there's two colors in there, don't worry. They're going to be like a little rainbow look to it. That's okay as long as you can see through it. No debris, no oil, no fuel. Injectors can leak, EGR coolers can leak, oil coolers can leak into a cooling system when it's poorly maintained. So we wanna make sure we don't see fuel or oil or any debris. So then we talk about pH. Most shops don't have a pH meter and we understand that they're expensive. So there are test strips in the market to test pH, but understand one thing to anyone using a test strip in the market. Test strips may say below eight is a fail. That's wrong on the test strip. It's below seven. The reason that's wrong is because we've gone from older inorganic acid, acid technology that was actually factory filled in some OEs right until 2015, 2014, to where we are today, organic acid technology. So older technology, the pH was 10.3 when it was born, 10.4, and it would come down over the course of years and when you got below eight, you got concerned. Today's technology is organic acid technology. So that new coolant in the heavy duty industry, predominantly it has been red, but that new coolant is born in the 8.5, 8.6, 8.7 range in pH, and it operates way into the sevens and even into the high sixes and can still perform. So just be aware, color, clarity, we say pH, but if you don't have a pH meter, you don't have a pH test strip, simply smell it. When you take that surge cap off or you take a sample, if it has an odor like ammonia, you have a catastrophic type of effect going on in that system. Ammonia is going to tear apart water pumps, O-rings, gaskets, and seals. So, you know, we say odor as the third, third test strip or pH as the third. The fourth is the water glycol content. Let's just keep it simple. Minus 12 to minus 65 degrees gives you your perfect world of that 40% to 60%. We don't want to have more than 60% because you, you don't dissipate the heat of glycol. We don't want to have less than 40%. We don't want more than 60% water because then you're diluting the inhibitor system. So the inhibitors, that's your last test, the fifth test. That's your test, especially in the heavy duty world for Caterpillar and Detroit and Cummins and Volvo, Mack International, all these engines, off-road, MTU and so on, marine business, these various engines, you need to test the chemistry. When you're working with today's technology of what's called organic acid technology, these new extended light coolants, the test strip is as simple as a pass-fail. Pass, I have enough inhibitors, 
fail. I'm too low. I need to either boost them up or drain the system and re-inhibit it. Older technology that was in the world back in the Naukul days, the Penray days, the inhibitors, um, they used what were called nitrites, SCA, supplemental coolant additives. And again, you know, we stopped factory filling somewhere around 2013, 14, 15 with that type of technology because nitrites and the fabricated aluminum, that's where you had your chemical reaction. So the world started to move, all of Asia, all of Europe, here in North America, only one on-road OE still puts nitrites in their cooling system. So just know the world is moving towards a nitrite-free technology. That's what you see on the shelves today. So that last test is the chemistry test, either pass-fail. In the old days, you would actually measure the levels of nitrites, and you want to have a certain level above 1,200 all the time to protect those liners from pitting and the block from cavitating. Good yeah, to go with those five test procedures. What does that tell me, especially if you send it off for a test? And we've talked about sending oil off for oil analysis and all of that. But what does that tell me about the health of my engine and or radiator slash cooling system? Well, there are various labs in the country and, and a lot of fleets, major fleets that I work with. Uh, they all are on an oil analysis program. Uh, that is important to them. Uh, we always state that we want to get about 10% of your fleet a year tested on coolant. In the same way you're sending oil analysis off, we want to send coolant off to get analyzed. And that coolant analysis is going to tell us a number of factors. The first thing it's going to tell us, of course, is the characteristics. What is the pH? What is the water glycol content? What's the color? It's going to tell me the condition of the water, the levels of calcium, magnesium. Are we topping off with shop water or are we using a distilled deionized water? The levels of chlorine. So it's going to tell me that. It's going to tell me the degradation of the glycol. Glycol in a cooling system can last two years, three years, five years, eight years. But again, it has to be maintained. That glycol, when a system runs too hot, it's going to age quicker. So there are degradation acids that we measure and the level in parts per million tells me is this glycol a month old is this glycol five years old and at some level will condemn the system just like a low low ph into the sixes will start to say hey we need to drain clean and flush that system the same thing in the degradation acids the last part of it is the chemistry whose chemistry is this do i have a mix Am I topping off with product A, B, C? You know, there we know the people in the industry. Peaks a big brand in coolant. We're strong in heavy duty and very strong in autom automotive. But we got competitors in heavy duty, the Shells, the Chevron, the Fleet Guards. In automotive, we have the Prestones and Valvoline and Xerox. So when you do an analysis, I can actually read an analysis, an, an analysis and say, hey, you've got a mix of the peak brand X with Dexcool, GM Dexcool, and GM doesn't want that, or you shouldn't be using that type of technology in an off-road Cummins engine. So that's what the analysis will further do in a quality analysis. It will tell you the inhibitors or the or organic acids or the inorganic technology, the nitrites, borates, and silicates that protected older engines, except where we are today with these copper copper steel radiators in the past, aluminum today. So those are your five test procedures. That's what lab analysis does. All right, so, so you brought it up. Sometimes we're either in a pinch and we just got to grab whatever, you know, whatever's on the shelf. Maybe I have a GM with, uh, you know, with the orange deck school in it. And uh, the only thing I can find is something that's green. Or, you know what? Some people just go, we'll just throw some more in there and whatever it is. All right, so, yeah. so mixing, number one, is it bad? If so, how bad? Number two, if it is bad, do I need to have that as a Band-Aid and as soon as I can drain the system, fix whatever I need to, change the hoses and all of that as soon as possible? Well, let, let's kind of give this in two different answers, okay? There are quality products in the industry that when a fleet is using, you know, in the heavy-duty world or in a, a fleet, you know, you've got fleets around the country, light-duty fleets, automotive light-duty diesel, heavy-duty diesel. There are some quality products that can take upwards of 25% of dilution from another product. 
So the inhibitors can be diluted. If water is available and you dilute it with water, we can get back to the shop and adjust when we measure our water glycol content. So you shouldn't be affected in your system if you're topping off with a quart or a half a gallon in heavy duty, even upwards of a gallon or even two in heavy duty. So you shouldn't be affected if you're using a quality coolant. Simple as that. There are quality coolants. I mentioned the names already. Those are quality companies uh, that, that anyone is aware of. It's, it's the off-brands you want to be you know, concerned about. And I don't want to get too much into that area because there's a lot of analysis that has gone in for 20 years of research of which brands are good, who blends good quality coolants, and who blends poor coolants. And, and that's another day, another subject. Fair enough. You were talking earlier during the testing, uh, you know, the looking at it, making sure there's no uh, fuel that's getting in there, oil or whatever. I know, again, on the oil side, the last thing we want to see is, um, you know, what might look like a chocolate milkshake when coolant goes the other way. But if we're seeing something in the coolant, is there a pretty good chance that what's getting into the coolant is also going the other way and the coolant's getting into that side of it? Well, you kind of mentioned quickly, fleets will do oil analysis. So they also always look for potassium, uh, you know, or, or sodium in an oil sample. Uh, and when they see potassium or sodium in an oil sample, they know, they know the coolant's going the wrong way into their oil sample. So they know they have some sort of O-ring gasket. They got some sort of failure ready to occur. So it is important to know that. Um, if you've got some sort of black, uh, blackness starting in the coolant where you start to see black particles, you may have EGR cooler starting to fail uh, where you're getting the gas actually getting into the system. So I, I've, I've seen the research in this in the school bus world in Western Pennsylvania. We were following uh, Allison automatic transmission, you know, the coolant cooling the, the uh, transmission cooler itself. And, and when something would fail, that's where you see that big milky substance. When when Allison automatic transmission fluid mixes with coolant, that really becomes a, 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 a really bad mess, a chocolate mess, and very difficult to clean these systems once you, even after you make the repair. That is so important to clean a cooling system after you change a component. There, there's a lot of uh, articles I've written. Um, a Technology and Maintenance Council, TMC, is great for any fleet to join to look at TMC. Uh, that's the division for the American Truckers Association. We, we write papers on how to clean a cooling system, how to purge air out of a cooling system. That is so important. You need to get the air out. If you don't get the air out, that EGR valve is going to fail instantly if you have air in a cooling system. So a lot of folks want to blame the EGR valve. Ah, these EGR valves stink. I blew up four of them in the past month. No, you didn't purge the air out of the system. So you need to get these bulletins in properly maintaining cooling systems and other components. TMC is a great avenue for any fleet manager, fleet director. Oh, that's great. And and it's, you know, you mentioned purging the air. And, you know, I, I was thinking about that, too. If you're doing a full flush and all of that stuff, um, can you give us some ideas? This is some best practices. I mean, burping the system, doing whatever. What what do I need to be very, very conscious of to make sure I actually get everything full where it needs to be? Well, you know, at, at the, the paper we wrote at TMC is is directed in the heavy-duty world. So Navistar has their section there, and, and Detroit has theirs, and Cummins, you know, so each one has their little section there as to where to purge the air out of the system. So there are procedures to follow, and then the avenue to that OE in how to follow it. So I don't want to just give you one thing because it doesn't fit right for Freightliner. It may not be the same procedure for Volvo, but it is written in that recommended practice. All right, that's that's fair. Let's talk about recycled coolant and why OEs don't recommend it. Well, you know, we, we can we can discuss this quickly. Um, <clears throat> it, you know, buyer beware. There are certain procedures for recycling from reverse osmosis to distillation uh, to filtration. Uh, filtration does nothing. And, and those old units, and, and this was kind of, Back in the 2000s, early 2000s, late 90s, we started to see these antifreeze recycling systems in shops. 
and they did nothing other than to filter the solids. They did nothing to better the quality of the water that was in there. They did nothing to uh, lower the age of the glycol. So just know that those old recycling systems really, they didn't work. So now you get the recyclers across the country, folks know various companies uh, out there and, and understanding that, hey, we're making changes in my fleet and maybe I need to drain this system. What do I do with that waste glycol? There are companies that'll pick it up. It's the procedure that they utilize to kind of go back to a, a pure glycol that is important. If they do not get out the inhibitors that are in that glycol that's being recycled, that can be an issue because there are certain OEs and we have an OE that bans certain technology. Well, if you can't get out those inhibitors, they're in that recycled product. Now you're gonna use it as a top off on this OE engine. And that OE says, don't use this type of uh, acid in our system because our head gaskets are not compatible. I can get into the exact OE, but I don't think that's the direction we wanna go in today. So there are OEs that have attitudes written towards technology. So we've got another OE that says we don't want nitrites in our cooling system. We know that we use fabricated aluminum heat transfer in our heater cores and our radiators. Nitrites counteract with that. We're not going to have clogged systems. So use a nitrite-free technology. So now when you're not, when you're recycling, if you don't remove all these inhibitors, you're new coolant you're marketing to the end user is going to have these inhibitors, whether it's 2-ethylhexonic acid that's in a certain technology or nitrites that are in older technology, and then borates and silicates. These are all inhibitors that are in certain technologies. Some are banned today, and that's where we want to be careful. And again, the attitude of the Asians, the Europeans, and here in North America, they ban technology. Phosphates are banned in some silicates and other, nitrites worldwide. So that's where recycling can become an issue. You need to have that sample. If you want to buy a, a recycled coolant, you should take a sample of that recycle, get it lab analyzed, and have an expert explain to you, what is this stuff? Will it pass my OE specification or will it void warranty in my vehicle? Uh, well, and even let's talk about that. Um, and you mentioned older coolant technologies, today's coolants. Can I use new technology coolants in a classic or older car? I want to be very careful in how I answer this. And I, I've been through this with fleets, just typical transit systems, uh, city refuse companies, some of the largest in the country. You want to be careful when you use today's modern technology. These organic acid technologies that are nitrite-free, they act like soaps, they're cleaners, they're lower in pH. So if I top off a classic vehicle with a modern organic acid technology, I may be affecting those components that have had inorganic acid technology in that system for years, 50 years old, 40 years old, your 1970 Dodge Challenger, I would not put modern technology, I'd go after that good old fashioned green coolant and top that off with that or refill it with that coolant. I'd be real careful with some of these modern technologies in older classic 65 Mustangs and older than that. That's interesting. Uh, by the way, I do want to remind you, uh, if you're viewing right now, and if you have a question, feel free to type in into the chat. We definitely want to make sure we're talking about the things that you want to talk about as well. You've talked about, Joe, some of these different technologies and how things evolve. And, you know, maybe in my fleet or maybe what I have personally uh, might be of a couple of different generations. Um, what do I need to know, especially when it comes to that? And are there I, I'm, maybe the right word is tipping points or whatever. Is there a time like maybe it was the mid 2000s where this converted to this or or that? What 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 do I need to know when it comes to that? Well, we can pick on an OE if you want. I don't I'm want to pick on to. it, even, but but sure. Yeah. Let's, I mean, call, let's call a spade a spade, right? Ford in the early 2000s, right? Switched from good old fashioned green coolant, and they switched to a coolant. Uh, they actually switched to a, a fully formulated type of fuchsia or purple type of coolant. 
And then they switched again to the Motocraft Gold coolant, what we call a hybrid coolant. Quality product came out of Europe here with the, the researchers. Uh, it was factory fill at a number of people. Uh, it was a, a fully formulated coolant mixed with some of the newer organic acid technology. So it was nitrided, but as components changed, remember EGRs are added to certain light duty vehicles, diesel engines, uh, we started to see more heat. You started to see uh, aluminum radiators or aluminum heat transfer, uh, heat of course. So now we had the reaction of the chemistry with the components. So Ford then looked at changing from the gold motorcraft for a two years, they switched to an orange lookalike Dexcool. It wasn't Dexcool, but it was similar technology. The Ford gaskets and O-rings were not compatible with the two ethohexonic acid, the inhibitor that's in Dexcool. So Ford then moved forward and today they are a yellow factory fill at Ford, a technology that works extremely well. So nitrite free, the inhibitors in there are compatible across the board with a lot of other OEs. So I don't mean to pick on Ford, but they had to do their research and due diligence to make sure where they want to be today. So now you get a fleet that has 2010 Fords and 2015 Fords and 2019 Fords, and they're looking for one coolant to be a top off. And that's where they need to reach out to the expert to say, which technology is going to work best as backwards compatible. So at a certain point in backwards compatibility, you get into the vintage car that you're talking about and you want to stop. So the coolants today are backwards compatible to anything that was extended life coolant factory fill. So if you had 1995 GM switched to orange Dexcool, and thereafter, Toyota started to switch and Ford and, and Chrysler started to switch in the early 2000s to today's technology. So today's technology is backwards compatible to about that year, 95, 2000, 2001 and two. Okay, that, and that's a great way to describe it backwards compatible. But you also brought up something else that, again, sometimes can be maddening on the uh, consumer side, you know, I want to think, well, if I see orange in there, then I can use orange. Or if I see yellow, I can use yellow. Or if I see red, I, I can use red. Is that a good rule of thumb or have, have some of those things become, uh, you know, mixed up a little bit over time? Well, it is a good rule of thumb. We try to write at TMC. Again, uh, I chaired a, a, a panel that wrote color specifications. So we actually kind of say, hey, red means this. Yellow means this, orange means this, green means, means this, pink or blue means this. The problem is the blenders sometimes do their own thing. The OE turns to a blender, a manufacturer, and asks for a color that doesn't jive with what I'm talking about to follow the recommended practice of color. So in the world today, it kind of works most of the time, but sometimes it doesn't work. I don't know if we have the capability of playing the uh, the OET uh, uh, slide that I sent over uh, to uh, apartheid. I don't know if we have the capability of playing that. If you want to take your vehicle's performance to new heights, you got to give it P. Like our original equipment technology, antifreeze and cooling. Our formulas match the vehicle manufacturer's technology requirements so that we have the perfect match for every vehicle. That's one reason why Peak is among the fastest growing brands of coolant in America. We work harder to earn the trust of people like you every day. That was a great lead into talking about color, right? So yeah. on the label of each one of these products and on the cap, <clears throat> it's color coded. So if the cap is orange, it's going to give you on the label the year, makes, and models that that coolant was factory filled. So for the consumer that's walking in and says, I want my Lexus red, we have a, a coolant that's marked Asian. The cap is red, and on the label, it'll tell you Toyota, what years this was filled, and of course, Lexus and so on. We also have European labels and North American labels. So for the consumer that wants exact technology, 
and exact color, that's available again on the retail side. This is across the board on the retail side. Competitors are doing the same exact thing. They're putting their products on the shelf labeled the same way. So if a customer is concerned with an original equipment technology, that's there. Then you get the next consumer that says, I don't want to pay the price of this just because it says Toyota on the label. I want an all makes all models type of technology. We can walk into that same retail shop or your distributor and ask for this. I want an all makes all models. These are usually dyed light yellow in color. If I buy something that's light yellow in color and I top it off on top of BMW blue, they're similar in technology. The blue dye is stronger. The system is going to stay blue. Do the same thing on top of Toyota. It's going to stay the same exact color as the Toyota red. The red dye is probably the strongest in the industry. Just to know that. Interesting. So when you get into the heavy duty world, factory fill across the board for years has been red extended light coolant. There are some differences in the in the heavy duty world. Mm -hmm. I, uh, that the, the, the design of that labeling is just fantastic. That's really, really cool. Um, a lot of times, some you know, a lot of people don't think about it until maybe they have a, a hose that burst or whatever it might be. But I know OEs also have their recommended either time or distance, whatever it might be. What can you tell us about that and what we need to know, what we need to pay attention to? Well, most labels in the front or back in modern today all makes all models. You know, your Dexcool type of factory fill, your Ford factory fill today, uh, your Toyota, they all will have recommended five years, 150,000 miles. That's the simple rule of thumb to utilize there in the automotive world. There are some products in the automotive world that are out there. At Old World, we have two, uh, a little bit more upscale. Um, we've got the Peak Global Lifetime uh, with a drain flush and refill. Filling it with this, it's a lifetime coolant for that vehicle. We also have the same thing. You see this above my shoulder here, the Peak 10X. It's a 10-year type of coolant. So the inhibitor package is boosted up. You need to drain, flush, and refill with these type of products, and they're going to last a lot longer. So then, But the five-year, 150,000-mile, that's the perfect world to be in. In the heavy-duty world, there are some products uh, that are factory-filled today at an OE. It's a million and a half, 10-year coolant for that engine. Wow. That's a longevity type of product. And that's a product we're proud of. Uh, it's called Final Charge Pro Series. We're factory fill at Volvo Mac today with this. It's approved across the board for Cummins and, and so on. It's a great product moving forward. That's incredible. All right, I, I have to ask this too. Again, some people might have a small leak in the radiator or whatever. Uh, maybe it's a home remedy of, uh, you know, throwing a bunch of pepper into the radiator or any of those glittery things that you buy that are stop leak. What does that do to my coolant? Well, I want you to, I want to be careful in saying brands out there. So let's just call it the powder, the liquid, you know, the brands. I don't mm -hmm. want to get in trouble with brands, but try to remember this. If I use something like that into my cooling system, I'm going through this with a city, a town, municipality, right now in Westchester County, they admit to using that product. You will not believe what it did, A, to solidify the system and the water pump shut down because of the solids that were in the system. What you do to any cooling system, any cooling system, automotive, light duty, heavy duty, you neutralize the inhibitors that are protecting the engine. They are not designed for these systems other than say, oh, my God, I, I got a leak here. I'm going to pour this in. When I get back to my shop, I'm draining, cleaning, flushing, and refilling. When you use this product, it's a temporary fix for today, tomorrow. It is not a long-term solution. It is a temporary fix to get back to my shop so I can change that water pump that the weep hole is leaking. I need to change that heater core that corroded for some reason. I need to change the component and get that coolant out. Awesome. Uh, great comment, by the way, just popped up. This is really important. I see that. That's tremendous. <laughs> Read that one. 
Yeah, this is really informative. Joe has answered all of my questions. My cars will be better off because of what I learned today. And it really is informative. Uh, you know, this is fantastic to be able to talk about something that we all know the importance of. I think a lot of times some people take for granted, or maybe some people actually have regular scheduled maintenance, which is a great thing. I do have another question, Joe, is is coolant slash antifreeze, is it corrosive? Um, you know, if I'm one of those manly men who's not going to use a funnel, but I still spill, um, you know, do I need to rinse that off? What do I need to know about that? Well, you you, you don't want to consume ethylene glycol, okay? Uh, it, it, it is hazardous to your health. Um, if you spill it somewhere, a light spill is, is, is nothing. You know, in the old days, let's just know this, the fleets in Bergen County, New Jersey used to pull their their tractor into the back where the cornfield was and they pull the plug and two years late, you know, they refill it with water, wash it out and fill up the cooling system, run it for two years and two years later, pull it back there and do it again. That's not good for the environment, right? That's why recycling companies are here today to take that glycol out of the world. And that's something I really didn't touch base on. I, want, I do want to hit one more point if I can on the recycling mm -hmm. part. And I prove this to a number of extremely large fleets that want to be green. We want to use recycled product because we want to be green. Well, read the label on a recycling product. Two years. Two years, 150,000 miles. What if I can use my coolant for 10 years, a million and a half miles? You never remove my coolant from the system. You're not introducing anything into the environment that needs to be cleaned up, energy to clean it up, and so on. When you do change your coolant every two to three years, for whatever reason, over the course of that lifetime of the vehicle, you're introducing five, six times waste to the environment. Now you have to clean that up. So uh, buying a recycled coolant is not always the greenest way to be. So I hope I hit the point there. Uh, it's important to know for that end user. I think you did, and I think you illustrated it very well. Joe, this has just been phenomenal. I've really enjoyed spending the time here today talking with you and really appreciate Pete being a part of what we're doing here at EPAR Trade as well. Looking forward to Race Industry Week, but uh, what a pleasure to talk with you about uh, all the different aspects of the cooling system and coolant. Well, thank you all the beautiful people here. You guys are awesome. I had a great time doing this today. Well, th thank you very much, Joe. What, what a great you. honor. Thank you. So this webinar has been recorded. It will be posted later on the ePortrait platform and distributed through our newsletter and social media channel. Uh, we won't be back next week. We're going to be off for a couple of weeks to get prepared and ready for the fourth annual Race Industry Week, which will start live at 6 a.m. Pacific on November 27th. It will be brought to you by ePortrait, Racer, and Speed Sport, and we have a big lineup of 100-plus industry speakers. Of course, Speak will be one of our uh, main sponsors, so thank you very much for, for your support. Uh, in the meantime, we pushed uh, Peak's product back on the homepage of the ePortrait platform. So please go there and take a look at it. And for any uh, additional questions or, or, or information, please visit www.ePortrait.com. Thank you once again, and goodbye. Bye, everybody. ePortrait is a digital platform that we've created basically to make life easier in the business community of auto racing. ePartrade, there is no e-commerce. It's literally a connection just like at a trade show. So now, any time of the year, a buyer could reach out to a supplier. When you see a product that you're interested in, all you need to do is click on request more information. And then from there, it is forwarded directly to the buyer or to the supplier. ePartrade really eliminates having to travel, closing down your shop. Now you have a place to showcase globally your racing product and technology. Land speed record holder George Poteet's speed demon rocketed 481 miles per hour at the Bonneville Salt Flats. You don't go that fast without ARP fasteners. There is no way that we could go the speed that we've gone, the number of times we've gone, with a lesser quality bolt than ARP supplies to us. And we absolutely wouldn't be where we were today if it weren't for ARP. When failure is not an option, it's ARP-Bolts.com. We're Performance Plus Global Logistics. 
Our team of dedicated performance industry and logistics experts get valuable cars and components to the track on time in top condition. We provide expedited logistics solutions for the performance industry using direct routes instead of deferred options and communicate all necessary information to the appropriate resources to meet regulations and ensure a smooth transit and secure delivery, both domestically and internationally. And we exceed customer expectations by providing best-in-class service with an efficient and cost-effective system in place. Contact us today to book your next shipment. You work as hard as your truck, and you have no time for downtime. That's why more truck owners trust Blue Def, America's number one diesel exhaust fluid brand. Each batch is guaranteed pure, so you can avoid costly repairs caused by inferior DEF. Demand America's best for your truck. Blue DEF at Blue DEF Platinum. Put trust in your truck. With ShopMonkey, we've been able to grow the shop by 20% in gross sales since implementing it in the shop. Everything that we were doing before has been sped up with ShopMonkey. All of our parts ordering, all of our approvals, all of our mechanics knowing what to do next. And I've had friends that are in the trade that own shops ask about ShopMonkey, and I highly recommend it just because of easy use. There's nothing like it with that kind of platform. With roots in the Midwest that date back well before the Model T, Fifth Third Bank has a long history of serving the needs of automotive companies. While much has changed over the years, our passion for helping businesses put cars on the road and on the track has not. Today, we are more committed than ever as a member of SEMA, a founding member of PRI, and a sponsor of multiple race teams across several racing series. For over a decade, Fifth Third Bank has been a staunch supporter of our industry and a great partner for many companies in the motorsports field. Our business has been growing extremely fast and really we could not be where we are today without Fifth Third. They provided amazing strategic advice, the capital we need to support our phase of the group. They are true partners for me now and what they do with their involvement in motorsports is untouched in this community. Where can we take your business? Fifth Third Bank.